I hope you guys are having a, a wonderful day. I have a question to ask you, though. Have you guys ever wanted something, like, really bad? I mean, I know some of you are thinking, like, a girlfriend, right? But you wanted something, like, really, really bad, so bad that you do whatever it takes to get it, right? You'd go wherever you had to go at whatever time, as far as you had to go, regardless of the circumstances, you'd do it to get what you want. Well, I had one of those moments last Friday, and here's the reason why um, our church just got brand new offices. This is our first week, um, and uh, we've actually been in our old offices for seven years. These were the first offices of Calvary Fellowship. Before that, we worked in our houses, and like we had Nextel, so we like, bleep, bleep. Uh, can you get that from the printer? You know what I mean? But we'd be like in other parts of town and stuff. And so we moved into these offices seven years ago, painted it, brand new carpet, it was great, but seven years later, the landlord did nothing. And so, I mean, literally, we had, like, toilets breaking above us and all the whatever water coming into our offices. I mean, it was a bad scene for a while. And so we got brand new offices. God opened the great door. But because we were seven years in this place, I made myself very comfortable in my office. I acquired things. I bought things. And I decorated my office. I felt really comfortable, really creative. Those of you that come here regularly know that I'm the worship pastor. You know that I, I work on the videos and graphics and all the stuff that goes on in this church. And I also write messages. And so I need a space where I can feel creative. I need a space that I can get to work and be like, oh, I feel comfortable. Let me create. Let me do what I do. And so I was really concerned with this move that I was not going to be able to have a space that was going to be creative, and you'd think, like, Mark, why don't you just take everything that you have and put it in the new office? I wanted to do that, but one day one of my buddies at the office comes into my office and goes, uh, you're not taking that with you to the new office, right? And I'm like, uh, I was planning on it, and I guess not. You know, and then, you're not taking that. And so, like, they started, like, weeding through my stuff, and so I'm, like, stressing out here. And actually, I packed a month before everyone else packed. I got home early from vacation on my day off, packed all my stuff because I wanted to be the first one in there. I wanted to be the first one in there because I knew that the week that we moved, I had to write a message. And so Monday morning, I had to start working. And so the week before, I'm like, I need to find the right furniture, the right things so that I can get there and feel comfortable. You may think I'm weird, but whatever. And so that last Friday, I got a buddy of mine. We jumped in my car and I said, I know they opened a new container store in Hollandale. There's actually a picture of it. And, um, and I... Uh, I drove up there at 4.30 in the afternoon, right before rush hour. We drove over there, and, um, and we get there, and when we get there, it's closed. Actually, it says grand opening tomorrow, Saturday, March 6th. It was March 5th. But I saw people inside and stuff, and so I told my friend that was in the car, I'm like, dude, get down, knock on the door, and see if they let us in. And he's looking at me and he's thinking, who do you think you are, Barack Obama? That they're going to like open up this place just for you? And I'm like, I don't care. Just go knock on the door. It also helps that I'm his boss. And, uh, and so he goes and he knocks on the door and he waves at the lady and the lady waves back at him. I could see this off of my car. And he looks at me and goes, and he comes back and, and I'm a little disappointed, I have to admit. And then I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. All right. There's a target down the street right next to Whole Foods. We'll go there. And so we go there, but it's not one of these super targets. It's a regular target. Nobody wants regular. Everybody wants super big. And so we get there, and I have my car, and I'm walking around, and nothing. I don't see anything that I want. I was mad. I left my cart right there. I know you're not supposed to do that. But I just left it in the middle of the aisle, and I left. 
jumped in the car. By now it was like six, right? And we know that part of town, jumping back on the 95 to come back to Miami Lakes, it was on Friday. I mean, it was packed. And I, I mean, I'm bumper to bumper, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, where can I find something? Where can I find something? Where can I find something? And I tell him, dude, let's go to the Super Walmart in Miramar. All right, I'm sure that I'm not Super Walmart. I'd never go there. Super Target. Let's go to Super Target, right? And so we get to, we, he's like, all right, if you want. We get there, and I find what I want. Ah. Uh, and I see this, like, cool leather ottoman that I could open up, and then I was going to build some type of um, filing cabinet inside the ottoman, and then I could put it in my office, and I find it, and I, I put it in there in the cart, and I start pushing it to the register, and some lady stops me. And I'm thinking, this lady wants to swipe my ottoman. She goes, sir, sir, do, do you see that the, the ottoman's broken? I'm like, no, it isn't. She wants to take my ottoman. And I go and look, and she's right. The whole back of it was ripped. And I'm thinking, like, no. And at that moment, I felt like I had wasted my entire day. I felt like I had I'd wasted my entire day. Actually, I brought pictures of my office. Now that it's, I'm proud of it, I mean, you're thinking, like, ah, oh, big deal. But I feel creative, and there's, like, another picture there. Cool. And so I think I did a good job after. But, but here's the thing. On Friday, I felt so frustrated. I felt like, man, here it is, like 7.30 at night. I wasn't, I wasn't able to get anything that I wanted. I'm not going to be able to start working on Monday. I felt so frustrated. I was mad. And here's the thing. As frustrating as that can be, people spend their entire lives this way. Guys and, and ladies getting in and out of relationships. People waste their lives. When it comes to relationships, the very same way that I wasted that entire afternoon driving around aimlessly trying to find something that I desperately wanted. People say, maybe if I, I go to this party, I'll find her. Or they say, or, or ladies say, maybe if I dye my hair this color and get some low lights and highlights and put on this tight dress and go dancing at this party, maybe, maybe there he'll see me and we'll fall in love and we'll live happily ever after. And people live this torturous life aimlessly, thinking that they're going to meet the person that they love, doing all of these things. And this is what I hear most of the time, is people coming up to me and saying, Mark, you know what? I'm never going to find anyone. Or Mark, every single time I'm in a relationship, they break my heart. Every single time I'm in a relationship, I mess it up. And the problem is this, is that we're going about it the wrong way. We're in this series that's called Happily Ever after and i love the title i love the picture but my favorite part about the series is the tagline it happens but not by accident it happens but not by accident however we live in a culture that teaches us that it is romantic it's cute to fall accidentally in love it's romantic for two lovers to bump into each other at a bar and then go upstairs and get busy but the truth is this more often than not the outcome of these accidents are broken hearts our broken dreams, our broken emotions, is purity that has been tainted. It's children growing up in homes without a mother and a father. And I know that this is tragic and you're thinking like, oh my gosh, Mark, this is so tragic, this is so sad. But here's the good news. Today, I will share with you a story from God's Word that will show you exactly how you can find the love of your life today. I will give you the tools that you need to avoid the mistakes that maybe your parents made. Or loved ones or maybe people that you know. Today's message is a message for teenagers. It's a message for college students. It's a message for young adults. It's a message for people that are divorced, for single moms and dads. It is a message 
for married people. The story that we're going to read today out of Genesis 24 is a story that applies to everyone. Whether you're in a romantic relationship or whether you're dying to be in one, it is a message for every single person in this room. And let me set it up for you real quick. What we're about to read is a story when Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, the first Jew, he just lost his beloved wife, Sarah. And if you open your Bibles with me to Genesis 24, starting in verse 1, let's start reading. It says this, Now Abraham was old and well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to his oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all he had, Please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear to the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but you shall go to my country, to my family, and take a wife from my son Isaac. What is the first thing that we notice in this passage? It's a father that is concerned for his son. Abraham was so serious about this that he called his most trusted servant. He called the COO of Abraham, Inc. And he made him swear to God that he would not allow his son to marry one of the women in the town where they were living. You see, this is the reason why God chose Abraham among all the people that were living on earth. He chose Abraham. God chose Abraham so that he would be the father of his children. God chose Abraham to be the man from whom which salvation would one day come into the earth because of this very reason. Because Abraham, he was concerned about his kids' health. He was concerned that his kids would have uh, financial wealth. But his number one concern was that his children' spiritual walk would be one that honored God, would be one that would uphold all the promises that God made to him. In Genesis 18, it says this, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him, for I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the ways of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Parents, parents today, we invest so much time in our children's education. I know people, women that are married right now that are, and, and are about to have kids and have already started a college fund for their kids. That's great. We invest so much time and effort on kids' education. We spend so much time and energy when it comes to our kids being involved in athletics and having a social life. But we make little effort ensuring that our kids will grow up equipped to be godly men and women. God chose Abraham because he knew that Abraham would train his children in the ways of righteousness. You know what? A large part of your kids, of preparing your kids spiritually, is making sure that your kid finds a suitable partner. See, Abraham was terrified. He was terrified that his son would marry the, a godless woman, a woman that, not, that did not believe in God, and therefore forfeit the promises that God had made him. See, the person that we marry has an extreme influence over our lives, has an extreme influence over our values, our convictions, and even greater than that, the person that we marry will forever shape and influence our children. The number one thing that we need to do as parents is we must be involved in our children's dating life. Must be involved. 
And here's the two ever common response to a statement like this. I don't even want to think about it. I don't even want to think about some guy liking my little girl. Moms are probably thinking, I don't want to think about another woman in my son's life. But here is the truth. There's nothing that you can do to avoid it. The fact is that one day, your little Johnny is going to come home and say, I like this girl. The fact is that one day, your little princess will come home and say, I like this boy. And you have a decision to make. Your, your decision is you're either going to ignore it or you are going to be a part of it. Because here's the truth. Your kids will find a way to have a boyfriend. Your kids will find a way to have a girlfriend. You can either be involved in it or ignore it. You can say, well, I'm going to take your cell phone. Oh, well, you know what? They're going to find a way. They're going to borrow a phone. They're going to find a way of buying a phone. They're going to go to Main Street and buy a Metro PCS somehow, convince the guy to sell it to them, and they will find a way. You're going to take away the computers, cut the Internet. You know what? Your neighbor has Wi-Fi. They'll find a way. They'll get online, and they will communicate, and this relationship will begin, and your kids' lives will begin to change, and you can make a decision. Are you going to be part of it or not? Some of you are probably thinking, well, Mark, you know, uh, my kids are too young. Or we haven't even had kids. You know what? I have a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And I regularly pray for the woman that will one day be a wife for my sons. There's nights that I get home late from work and I walk into their rooms and I put my hands on my sons and I pray for them. I pray that God would bless them and I say, God, I pray for the woman that will one day be the wife of my sons. It's never too early to begin to be involved and I'll tell you one thing. Uh, let me scan the room real quick. They're not here. My in-laws drove me crazy when I was dating my wife. They drove me nuts. Let me put it to you this way. The first time that I went on a date alone with my wife was the day that I asked her to marry me. First time. Okay, we dated for eight years from high school, college, graduated from college. First time we ever went on a date by ourselves was the day that I asked her to be my wife. And some of you may think, Mark, that's extreme, whatever. If you would have asked me when I was dating her, I would have said, you're right. But in retrospect, looking back now, I thank God every single day for their involvement in my life. Because their involvement allowed us to make decisions that would honor God. Their involvement allowed us to have a legacy that would honor God. See, parents' involvement... It's so important that the most memorable moment of my time dating my wife was the day that I asked her father and her mother for their blessing in marriage. I planned this day out. I remember praying about it. I remember asking advice for it. I showed up at her parents' business before they opened because I wanted to be there before anyone else got there. I wanted to be there before the employees were there. And I showed up. I parked in front probably an hour before he opened. And I prayed. I talked to God. I even called my pastor and he prayed for me over the phone. I mean, it was serious. Okay, for me, I had no idea what he was going to say or what he was going to do. I had no idea. And uh, he got there and I got out of my car. I said, hi. I talked to them for a little while. My mother-in-law showed up and she got there. And I'm like, I'm sure you guys are wondering why I'm here. He was probably thinking that um, uh, I was there to ask for money or something. I have no idea. And, uh, and I said to him, uh, the reason I'm here is because... I want to ask Leilani to be my wife. And um, they both looked at me. Immediately, my mother-in-law started crying. She's Cuban. That's what they do. Immediately, boom, started crying. My father-in-law is Cuban, too. 
And he walked straight up to me. He looked me dead in the face. I had no idea what he was going to say. I didn't know if he was going to say no. I don't know if he was going to say wait. I don't know if he was going to say you're crazy. It's not going to happen. I had no idea. Look at me straight in the face. And he said, I want you to make me one promise. I said, okay. He said, promise me that you'll never walk away from God. And I said, there's no problem. I'll do that. And then he said, make me another promise too. You'll never let my daughter walk away from God. And I said, you got it. I promise you that will never happen. And um, at that moment, you know, it got kind of misty in the room. Everybody's eyes were watery. And uh, he put his arm around me and my mother-in-law hugged me and they prayed for me. And they gave me their blessing. That's the most memorable moment of my dating experience. And my wife, my girlfriend, wasn't even in the room. That's what I remember the most vividly. It is so important for parents to be involved in their children's dating life. And here are five ways that you can make sure that your kids marry a Christian person. The first thing is pray. Pray every single day. Pray for your kids. Pray for the person that they're going to marry. Pray. Number two is be godly parents. You can't expect your kids to be one thing and yet you're living something completely different. Be godly parents. Be an example to your children. Number three is get them involved in church. Get them involved in church. Coming to church every once in a while doesn't cut it. Coming to church every Sunday doesn't cut it. Get them involved. Get them involved in youth ministry and the children's ministry. If you serve, bring them with you. Get them involved in what you're doing, serving God. Be an example. Get them attached to the body of Christ. Number four is teach them what a godly man and a woman look like. It's not good enough just to, to um, be uh, an example, to be godly parents. You've got to teach them. This is what a woman of God looks like. This is what a godly mother does. This is what a godly father does. This is what a godly man does. Talk to them about it. And number five, they're going to be like, okay, this is a big one, huh? Invite their friends to your house. Invite their friends to your house. As early as they start having kids, bring them over. Five years old, bring them over. Go to the park. Get to know who they're hanging out with. Make it part of your culture. That kids, their friends, come to your house so that when they get older, it's not weird. To have people over the house. It's not weird for them to say, hey, I like this boy. I'm bringing him over. Oh, I like this girl. I'm bringing her over. It's not going to be weird if you start early. And hey, you have teenage kids. Start now. I want to meet your friends. Bring them over. Let's have a barbecue. Whatever it may be. But bring their friends to your house. Get to meet the people that your children are hanging out with. It is so important. Proverbs 22.6 says this. Train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not turn from it. And I know what some of you are thinking, okay, Mark, um, we know what parents need to do, but I'm single. Okay, I'm a little older now. How can I find true love? How can I find the love of my life? In the passage that we just read, Abraham makes his servant promise him. He makes them swear to God, and it's not how we promise, because we make promises all the time and we break them. This guy did not have an option. He made him promise, and if this guy would not have upheld that promise, he could have lost his life. He made him promise, do not allow my son to marry a Canaanite. Go back to my land. Go back to my people. Go back to my family and find a wife for my son. And right here lies the key. Right here lies the key of where you find the love of your life. And there's probably someone in here thinking, that's not true, Mark. I married a Jew and I'm miserable. Has nothing to do with that. He could have been born in highly a hospital like me. He could have been from Wyoming, from Australia, from little Haiti, whatever. It doesn't matter where he's from. What matters is number two. You can't find true love 
outside of the family of God. This is what Abraham is trying to teach us today. Through his example, you cannot find true love outside of the family of God. You're not going to find true love at happy hour. You're not going to find true love on Match.com or Facebook. You're not going to find true love by throwing yourselves into the arms of every metrosexual pretty boy that gives you the time of day. You're not going to find true love that way. You're not going to find true love just because someone makes you feel good or, or makes you chuckle or makes you laugh. The only way that a Christian person can find true love, love that lasts, love that respects, is in the family of God, is in church it's in the arms of a man or a woman that loves God. Oh, but Mark, he's so nice, doesn't cut it. Oh, but, but Mark, she's just so sweet. She's just so understanding. She listens to me. She talks to me. She doesn't scream at me. It doesn't cut it. And there's someone that I get all the time. This has to be it. Oh, but Mark, she's so hot. He's so hot. I could change him. I could change her. That doesn't cut it either. People start quoting scripture at me. Nothing is impossible for God. You know what? You're right. It's not impossible for God, but it is impossible for you to do it. Second Corinthians says this. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not partnership. That's war. Is light best friends with dark? Does Christ go strolling with the devil? Do trust and mistrust hold hands? Who would think of setting up a pagan idol in God's holy temple? But that is exactly what we are. Each of us, a temple in whom God lives. God himself put it this way. I'll live in them, move in them. I'll be their God. They'll be my people. So leave the corruption and compromise. Leave it for good and say, God, says God. Don't link up with those who will pollute you. I want you all for myself. I'll be a father to you. You'll be my sons and daughters. Second Corinthians 6. And some of you may say, hey, you know what, Mark? I married someone that I met at church. Hey, Mark, uh, you know, I'm dating someone that I met at church and it's not working out. Or I dated someone. I was with someone that I met at church and, and, and it's falling apart. Matthew 7.15 says this, They come to you looking gentle like sheep, but they are really dangerous wolves. So you have to be careful who you decide to have a relationship with. Too many times I see people jumping right into a relationship just because they had a great conversation. Or because she knows how to text the right way. Or because the symbols that he sends you make you feel so important. Because that's how relationships, most relationships start now, texting. Oh, you know, whatever. We, back in the days when, when I was growing up, it was beepers. It'd be like 143, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> but hey, too many times I see Christians jumping into calling, oh, he's my boyfriend or he's my girlfriend. I'm like, what are we, in the sixth grade? That we have to rush into calling someone my boyfriend or a girlfriend just because you had a good conversation or he's funny or she's funny. You know what you need to do as a Christian person? Get to know them. Sit next to them in church right now. Look at your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Are they taking notes? Are they involved in what's going on in church? Go out with a group of people. Start serving with them. Maybe join a small group with them. Begin to see their fruit. And once you see their fruit, then you say, you know what? I think he's the one. I think she's the one. Or maybe, let me walk away. No one's hurt. No emotions are attached. There's not, nothing attached. But we do it the way that honors God. Just because someone comes to church doesn't make them a Christian. Let's continue reading. 
so that we can learn what a man and a woman of God looks like. Genesis 24, starting in verse 10, says this, Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's good were in his land, his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women will go out to draw water. Then he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water and the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that when a young woman to whom I say, please, let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give to your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking, that behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful, and behold, a virgin. No man had known her, and she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down and her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they had finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the throw, ran back to the well to draw water and drew, and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please, is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, who was born to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So, so the young woman ran and told her mother's household all of these things. And then Abraham, I mean, Eliezer, Abraham's servant, goes to Rebekah's house, meets her family and tells them why he's there. He tells them, I pray to God. And I gave him exact things, specific things, and everything has come to pass. And Rebecca did exactly what I asked God that she would do. And then he said, I would like her to come back with me so that she could marry my master, Isaac. And then let's continue reading real quick before uh, the end here. It says, Then Laban Bethuel answered and said, The thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to you either bad or good. Here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go and let her be your master's son's wife. As the Lord has spoken and it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard their words that he worshipped the Lord bowing himself to the earth. Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebecca. And he also gave precious things to her brother and her mother. And he and the men whom were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. Then they arose in the morning and he said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, let the young woman stay with us a few days. At least ten after that she may go. And he said to them, don't hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. 
So they said, we'll call the young woman and ask her personally. Then they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become the mother of thousands of ten thousands. And may your descendants possess the gates of those whom you hate them. Then Rebecca and her maids arose and they rode on the camels and followed the men. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. In these few verses that I read, God shows us specific characteristics that a woman must have. The first thing we notice is purity. She was a virgin. She was pure. Number two is kindness. This dude that she had never seen walked up to her and said, can I have some water? And she gave him water. Not only was she kind, she was generous. She gave water to all of his camels. He came with ten camels. And experts say that a camel, after going the journey that those camels went in the desert, can drink up to 25 gallons of water. And it says that she gave them water until they were finished. Number four, that she was hospitable. She offered them a place to stay. Okay? The right woman needs to be a woman that knows how to make a home, that can make her husband comfortable, that can take care of her children. She is a woman that is hospitable. Number five, the most important thing is faith in God. Rebecca showed extreme faith in God. She left everything that she knew, her home, her family, her comforts, her room, everything that she had upon faith to go marry someone that she had never even met because she trusted in God. Guys, you want to find out what the, what the love of your life looks like, what Mrs. Wright looks like? Fathers and mothers of, of young boys, you want to know what Mrs. Wright looks like? The right woman has faith in God. The right woman has faith in God. See, God blessed me with an incredible wife. I think she's beautiful. She loves to dress up. Actually, her family owns like clothing stores, and so she loves dressing up. And it's easy for her. She looks beautiful when she dresses up. But let me tell you something. You know, when I see my wife and she looks, she's looked more beautiful to me than ever, it's times when I, I walk into our room and I see her sitting on our bed with her hair and a crooked ponytail with a t-shirt that my sons have probably been pulling on all day. And she's sitting there and she's reading her Bible and she has her journal there and she's writing stuff out. And in that moment, my wife looks more beautiful to me than any woman in the world. Because I know that she's spending time with God. And I know the more time that she spends with God, the more she's going to love my children. The more time that she spends with God, the more time that she is going to love me. You know what? God is a priority in her life. It's not something that she does on Sunday mornings because she's got nothing better to do. It's not someone that she resorts to because she's lost all hope. God is all of her hope. God is in whom she's placed all her trust. 1 Peter 3 says this, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and, the, and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. And now, ladies, this doesn't mean that you don't take a shower anymore or wash your hair or get your nails done or, or look beautiful and put makeup on and feel good about yourself. It doesn't mean any of that. What it means is that what matters the most to God is who you are on the inside. That is what matters to God. And ladies, the very same way that Mrs. Wright is a woman that has faith in God, the right man has faith in God. 
You know what Isaac was doing the very first time Rebekah laid eyes on him? In verse 63 of Genesis 24, when Rebekah sees Isaac for the first time, he was spending time with God. He wasn't drinking at a bar. He wasn't playing poker and smoking cigars with his buddies. He was praying and talking to God. He was spending time with God. Ladies, you want to find the right man? Moms and dads, you want to know the type of man that is suited to be the husband of your daughters? Make sure that he's a man that puts God first in his life. Number one, that he puts God before he puts you. Ladies, if you begin dating a guy that puts his commitments to God before you just to make you feel good so that you could give him another kiss or a tighter hug or whatever, run. If you start dating a guy and, and you saw him serving and being involved in church and to spend more time with you, he gives up his commitments to God, run. Because if he can put you, a regular girl, before God who created him, sooner or later he's going to put something else before you. Sooner or later, he's going to put someone else before you. Number two, he's a man that serves in his church. The right man is a man that is involved in God's work. Genesis 24, 14, Eliezer calls Isaac a servant of God. And you know what? This morning we made it real easy for you. You want to be Mr. Right? You want to be the guy that the right girl looks at? This morning, you can begin serving right here in our church. It's real easy. Your next step today, like Maria said, is to pull out your connection card. And on the back of the connection card, there's a bunch of ways that you can get involved in serving God. Fathers, you want to show your daughter what a man of God looks like? You want to show your son what a man of God looks like? Sign up and begin serving God. So that he could see on Sunday morning or on Wednesday or during the week or whenever it is that you put God before you put other things. That you are a servant of God the same way Isaac was called a servant of God. And today it's super easy. On the back of your connection card, you could just check that off. Number three, it's a man that has integrity. Proverbs 10.9 says, The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. All of us know that the number one thing that a woman really wants is to feel safe. Everybody knows that every girl's dream is to be swept away by a knight in shining armor. And I promise you this, it has nothing to do with her love for horses. But it has everything to do with feeling safe. It has everything to do with integrity. It has everything to do with her knowing that you will take care of her. With her knowing that you will take care of of her children. And number four, a man that loves and respects his mother. In verse 67 of Genesis 24, the first place that Isaac brought Rebekah was to his mother's tent. That's the first place that he brought her. Ladies, if the guy that you're dating is a guy that disrespects his mom, be very, very careful. Number five, a man that has a plan for his future. Isaac knew he had an awesome responsibility before him. He knew the promises that God had made to his father. He knew the prosperity that God had given his father. And the same way that he had given it to his father, it was his. He had a plan. He had hundreds, if not thousands of people that reported to him. In parts of Genesis, they refer to Abraham as a prince, as a king, 
as a ruler. Isaac had a plan. Teenage girls, moms and dads, this means the guy that you like does well in school. Going for the bad boy is only going to end up breaking your heart. The love of your life has a job, has a career. The love of your life can provide for you and for your family. You wonder why Abraham's servant, after Rebecca fed the camels and gave water and all this stuff, hooked her up with a, with a nose ring and, and a gold bracelet? You know why he lavished his family with all this jewelry and all this wealth, silver and gold? It's because he wanted the family to know that he was going to take care of their daughter. He wanted the family to know that Isaac could take care of her. Being cute doesn't pay the bills. Being funny and sweet doesn't buy diapers. I buy a lot of diapers nowadays. And the last thing that we need to do is we need to surrender it to God. Just offer it to God. Single people, offer your singleness to God. And say, God, I put it in your hands. Parents, married people, offer the future of your children, your children's life, who they're going to marry, who they're going to spend the rest of their life with. The most important relationship that they will ever have. More important than a nice prom dress. More important than a PS2 and an iPhone and a laptop. More important than any of that stuff is you making sure that they end up with someone that is going to help them continue to be a godly person. Surrender that to God. Trust God. You know, I told you that story about me in the container store when I started. And here's the thing. I went on Friday to the container store. The grand opening was Saturday. On Thursday before I did all this, I got a personal invitation by the container store since I'm a customer that said, please join us for our grand opening on, March, on Saturday, March 6th. You know what I did with that invitation? I got it, and I left it on top of my kitchen counter. We have an invitation from God. We have God's Word, God's instruction right in our hands. We are listening to it now, but you know what we do most of the time? We leave it on top of the kitchen counter. We're like, oh, that's not for me. Or maybe you hear it, you listen to it, you have a Bible reading plan, but then you try to do what I did. Send your friend to try to see if he could get you in. You know, you try to bypass what is already said, what is done. We try to bypass the promises and God's commands. And there's no way around it. God wants you to be happy. This isn't a bunch of rules for you to be miserable. This is a bunch of stuff, of promises from God for you to live happily ever after. It happens, but it takes work. I love this verse. Psalms 37, 5 says, Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He will bring it to pass. And that's what I want to do this morning. Let's commit our ways to God. If you're a single person in this room, begin to pray for the woman or the man that you are going to spend the rest of your life with. Offer it to God. Offer it to God. Surrender it to God. And here's the thing. You may be praying right now for that person. That person could be praying. She could be. He could be in this room right now. Begin to do these things. Begin to offer these things to God. And he says, trust also in me and I will bring it to pass. God is not a liar. God will bring it to pass. If you begin to do this as a parent in the life of your children, God will bring it to pass. Begin to obey God's word. Don't leave it on the kitchen counter like I did with that invitation. 
Let's bow our heads. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for the single people. I want to pray for the married people. I want to pray for the parents, people that want to have kids, so that this morning we commit our ways to God. We stop trying to ignore things that are going to happen. They're going to happen. And if we ignore them, they're not going to go down the right way. Falling accidentally in love ain't nothing but an accident waiting to happen, a heart waiting to break. So let's pray. Dear God, I come before you right now and I pray for every single person in this room. Pray for the parents. God, it's scary. I know I'm a parent. To think about who our kids are going to fall in love with. What the in-laws are going to be like. What the other kids are going to be like. The aunts and the uncles and all these people that are going to now be part of our family. It's a scary thought. But it's an awesome thought to also know that if we commit our ways to you, if we trust you, you're going to take care of us, God. If we obey your word, you're going to take care of us, God. You're going to take care of our children. Father, I pray for single people. It's so hard to be single. So hard at times to to want to share your heart with somebody else and, and not have that person. And God, I pray that you would give them the strength and the will, and the desire, and the obedience to follow you, to follow your commands, to take your word to heart, and to become the one, to become the person that somebody awesome is going to want to be with, and not just want somebody awesome, but that they would become that awesome person. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody says, amen. Praise God. Yeah.